Thank you for tuning into the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Monday, Monday, Monday. Yeah, I know, first-gen faithful. It's that day of the week, the day of the week that you probably would not list as your number one most favorite day of the week, unless it happens to be your day off for some reason. Uh, But don't worry, we got a Monday off coming up in less than a month, good old Labor Day weekend. And you know what Labor Day weekend brings with it? Well, at least it does here in Iowa. It brings along dove season. So that's when everyone's out there hitting it hard for doves. I've got a few spots that I'd like to explore this year during dove season. Last year was a real bust. I was hoping to, to have a lot more success with that, but unfortunately that did not happen. But that's neither here nor there. In this episode, we have a unique listening experience lined up for you. You'll notice by the title, this was a live episode. I'm not just talking about live like I recorded at a restaurant or recorded in someone's basement. We held a live podcast event. And by we, I mean myself and three other guys that you have heard on this show some several times. One, a ton of times. And one just once. But you will recognize all their names if you're a longtime listener. First of all, my co-host, the guy who's been with me since the beginning, good old Brandon Martin from Delaware, representing The Hunt Fish Life. And uh, like I said, longtime co-host of this show. And also uh, good old Caleb Drake, whom you've heard on some Hunt Therapy episodes, also has appeared as a co-host for, uh, with me on the uh, Full Draw Film Tour interview. And then Jesse Jeffley, a name you probably haven't heard in quite some time. And in fact, I think it's been close to a year and a half since we had Jesse on to talk about turkey hunting. He also talked a little bit about his primitive archery uh, skills and, and work that he does. Um, but he joined this show as well. And so we had four guys who love talking about hunting, all doing this live show for Bethel Baptist Church down in Lapel, Indiana. And, uh, man, we just had a great time. The energy of a live audience, the uh, great questions from uh, people in the audience asking us about some different hunting topics and um, just, you know, the shaking hands and getting to know people before and after the show was a ton of fun as well. So a big thank you to Bethel Baptist Church. A big thank you to my buddy John Hines, who uh, kind of dreamed this one up with me. About a just over a year ago, he was helping me uh, do some work on my new house, and uh, we had this conversation. He didn't uh, forget about it, evidently, and he brought it back up and helped to make this thing happen. So a big thank you to him. He is, by the way, a first-gen hunter as well. But enough of that. Let's go ahead and get to the show, but I do want to give you a little bit of a warning here. This show was shot uh, outside. So there is some wind noise. I tried my best to use the, you know, turn the noise reduction all the, as high as reasonable uh, on the software here and also do as much editing, you know, chopping out loud chunks and so forth. But, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of is what it is. You're going to have some of that annoying wind in the mic. My apologies for it. I tried to do my best to get it out of there, but it's still going to be there. But keep listening because you're going to enjoy all the topics that we hit jump all over the place, hear from all these different voices, 
It was a ton of fun. Wish you could have been there. Maybe you'll be at the next one. But regardless, let's go ahead and roll it. Episode number 93, live from Indiana, here on the First Gen Hunter podcast, presented by Spartan Forge. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hello, Lapel, Indiana. Thanks so much for having us down. Uh, it's, it was kind of interesting. I was doing some uh, looking up on Wikipedia, uh, trying to figure out what is it that Lapel, Indiana is known for. And uh, all I could come up with is you're named after the collar on a men's like uh, suit jacket. The shape of the like the outline of the town. Whenever they surveyed it, I don't know if one guy was a little groggy and you know he put his pen in too far on one side or something, but it's that angular lapel shapes so that's pretty cool and uh, what we've been admiring this whole time while we've been driving around here is you guys are in the middle of nowhere and that's the best place to be <laughs> that is the best place to be it's right true. yep admiring so that, uh, yeah. no it's great to be here in indiana john's a great friend of mine um we uh go back to the college days and uh we actually shared a dorm with uh brandon here he's the he was kind of the old man in the dorm when yep. we were coming in yep. to college as uh, young guys. <laughs> and uh, Jesse married his sister. So uh, that leaves Caleb. Caleb uh, and I, we know about all the same people. We grew up in the same area, but we didn't know each other until a few months ago when we started shed hunting together. And uh, for the first time in my life, I found somebody who's a, as obsessed with shed hunting as I am. So uh, been pretty good to bring this group of guys together. Uh, Jesse, of course, knew him in college as well. And uh, we'll introduce ourselves more thoroughly later on in the show. But it's cool to be here in Indiana. Indiana is now the heavyweight, big buck title holder. You guys got that uh, title belt to hang around and uh, talk about, brag about, right? The Huff Buck that uh, went down in the 2021 deer season. New national typical whitetail record. That's pretty impressive. Yep. Uh, and just missed the world record by, I believe, two or three inches. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Canadians still own, you know, the North American and worldwide title. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, who knows? It could be another one lurking around here. I heard the other day that uh, from a good, a good source, a guy who's been on this podcast a few times, Mr. Garrett Fike, that uh, the Brewster Buck, the uh, current world record non-typical buck, uh, I believe it was a 302-inch net a uh, freak of nature that was shot just over the border from Indiana and Illinois. And uh, so who knows that uh, national record or even world record could come out of here at some point too, or sorry, you already got the national record. The world record could come mm -hmm. out of here at some point too, but feels great to be here. Uh, thank you for sharing all these uh, uh, wonderful uh, hunks of meat with us, right? Life is better when you're gnawing on a hunk of meat. We're all cavemen deep down inside. Um, I like to say, I think uh, we've advanced past what's probably good for us. And the cavemen really had a lot of things figured out, you know, hunting every day and chewing on a hunk of meat all the time is a better way of living than sitting in a cubicle. Mm -hmm. So well today said. we're going to kind of transform our, transform our brains a little bit, think a little bit more primitively and talk some hunting here. 
And uh, just want to say thank you so much again for hosting us. Thanks for sharing pictures of your harvests and all that. Speaking of harvests, uh, John has a great friend from college that we used to call the harvester. It may or may not have been related to hunting, but you can ask him about that. That's for a total different time. <laughs> Sorry, John, don't kill me. But uh, no, let's go ahead and get rolling here. The first thing we wanted to do is start talking a little bit about um, some of the, I guess, newsworthy stuff. What are, what's the buzz going on in the hunting world right now? And like everybody else, we like to complain about everything. So naturally, we uh, go to uh, the law side of things, right? Yeah. These new rules rolling out. And uh, that brings us to our first rule. Some, something that's been making a stir down in the southwest part of the country are uh, trail cam bans. And that may sound ridiculous to you if you've never heard of that before. It did to me the first time I heard it. But there's more to the story, right, fellas? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's really interesting, you know, for, you know, I'm sure we've got a, a wide ranging group out here. Maybe some of you guys have a lot of experience with trail cams, maybe some less, maybe some have experience with the cell cams versus the standard cams. And out in the, uh, the Southwest, uh, right in the, in the Utah area, Nevada area, Montana, some of those states out there, they have outlawed in various uh, capacities cameras to be able to use in some cases across the board. Um, in other cases, limited, which we'll talk about. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today in the context of what's the, what's the scope behind things? Is it something that could affect other parts of the country, including here? And uh, what do we all think about it? So this is some of the things that we're going to talk about a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Very well said. You know, um, you think about hunting from a Midwestern standpoint, it's a totally different game, right? Mm -hmm. um, and really it comes down to you know, I used to be a uh, I, I used to be a science teacher for eight years, and so I love to nerd out on the science behind why why does the the landscape look like it does? Right, it comes down to soil, though. Here in the Midwest, we're the breadbasket of the country. That's something to you know beat our chest about a little bit, I suppose. But right, we 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 feed the we feed a large percentage of the world right here with our soil. But we also, because of that soil, have a certain landscape, and uh, we have a certain quality of deer that follow that. And so we are the, you know, the, the edge habitat capital of the country. We got, we got all kinds of diversity here, mostly corn, but a lot of timber fingers stretching out. One thing I love about Indiana is you guys got all these like hardwood islands. When you drive down the road, you just see, okay, you know, corn, 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 boom. There's this, you know, three acre little patch of timber there. And uh, it's just, it's different. It's different than uh, Illinois. It's different than Iowa. It's different than, than Ohio or, or uh, uh, you know, even go up into, into Jesse's neck of the woods there. Uh, you know, a lot of hardwood timber up there, yeah, mostly yeah. big, big woods, uh, deer hunting up there. But, mm -hmm. but um, it's, it's cool to see that. But when we think of our trail cam use here, it's very different than what it is out West. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, the limiting factors here in, in ag world, right? So Caleb and I, we hunt Iowa, Illinois, um, Brandon's all the way up in Delaware where, yep. he, you know, he like goes and catches flounder for breakfast and, uh, <laughs> eats backstraps for supper. But, uh, he's, uh, you know, when we look at this whitetail part of the, the country, um, we're thinking tree stand hunting. We're thinking hunting, uh, uh, cover. That's usually the limiting factor. If you're up in the big woods, food is going to be the limiting factor. And that's where you're hanging your trail cam out West. You're finding water, you know, you go into Arizona, which is, is the, uh, the Indiana equivalent for elk hunting. 
our good friend Alex Gruen, who we'll hear more about later on in the show. He just went down there last September, shot an absolute trophy. I think it took him eight years of applying for tags to get a tag there in uh, uh, Arizona. And the limiting factor there is you're hunting water. You know, that's that's where the animals are going to be. And so that's really what happened with the trail cam bands that started in Arizona. Uh, you had uh, basically hunters that were uh, and guides, outfitters. Uh, there's even some some businesses out there. Uh, one of the their names is uh, Scout to Hunt that would sell trail cam pictures. Say so you put in for a tag out in, in Arizona, wanted to get a shot at a trophy elk. You're going to want that intel. Okay, where should I be hunting? So I got my best chance at getting my wall hanger. And uh, so you go to these watering holes, and uh, there'd be you know dozens of trail cameras. You know, maybe a few on the same tree. But I don't know. I wasn't there. But uh, just an excessive amount of these cameras, and uh, people didn't like that, right? So what do we got to do? Well, you know, you got people complaining. Maybe it could be hunters. could be people that are just out enjoying public lands from a non-hunting standpoint. And uh, even, you know, fish and game officials in that area are looking at it, and, and uh, you know, they're seeing, hey, this is stressing the animals. Mm-hmm. You know, all this, these flashes going off all the time, all the, uh, all the other uh, little bit of disturbances that are taking place in the woods, they wanted it to come to an end. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and I think it's interesting too, you look, you know, you know, the, the state wildlife agencies, you know, I don't know if you guys ever get like paperwork from the agencies out here, you know, I know in Delaware, we'll do it where you get something that's a, you know, they'll ask different questions about different things. And it was interesting in seeing some of the results of even the people out there that, you know, responded to the trail cam ban side of things. And there was, there was a surprise, you know, we think about it in a different context and we, you know, we see all the benefits and everything. We don't have those same problems. And it was actually interesting to see that there was a tremendous amount of support for these bands out there. And that's part of the reason why they ultimately made the decision to put in, put the band, you know, in place in, in some of these places. And, um, you know, I know out on the East coast, we use, um, outfitters a lot on the, uh, fishing side of things i just you know did a tuna trip out there um out west you know you've got a tremendous amount of outfitters that are doing the elk hunts and everything and you know i've i've always had a dream of doing something like that but then i've thought man that it it becomes business it doesn't become fun anymore and so the idea of it becoming business and that's exactly what it's become for a lot of these outfitters which is i think the sentiment is it's pulled away from some of the the everyday hunters being able to enjoy some things you know so yeah i definitely agree with that because you know you think about why we're out there hunting the conservation of a lot of the lands we support a lot of that when we buy our licenses buy guns some of those um we can get into like some of that you know taxation on that which is Mm -hmm. like pitman robertson act and um but i think that like that's a huge part of why i would support that right why am i out there i'm not out there to get all these flashy pictures um you know and and the aspect of putting that work right to go scout those animals um, I know I follow some people on social media that they do that. They go out there and they're they're putting the boots on the ground. You know, they're glassing up these these elk. It's really making the sport a sport again. Yes. In that sense of like, I'm not just hanging this camera and um, it's sending a picture to my phone, um, which we we'll talk about it maybe later. Some of that with the the Boone and Crockett system, some yep. of those things. Yep. But um, yeah, I think it really does help get it back kind of to the roots of why are we out there hunting? The the challenge of of, of taking a wild game animal. Well, and I mean, I think the question for consideration could be, has the world of trail cameras made us as hunters lazy or maybe a little less skillful as it relates to really getting back to finding deer sign, following deer sign, you know, rub yeah. lines, you know, yeah. things like that. So that's kind of some of what we're, we're talking about today. And that's what I like to tell my brothers, too, who, 
who do a lot of trail camera hunting. They're like, you know, you get out, got to get out there and see what the deer are actually doing yourself. Yeah. And uh, trail cameras definitely have their place, but being being a primitive guy myself, you know, um, I really enjoy the fact of of it's just you and the deer, you know, and uh, your skills against their their natural instincts instead of you know the technology side of it. And and uh, um, and I can definitely see where the uh, the trail cameras can be um, interrupting the wildlife and that, but um, I guess it's. Uh, it's good to have balance in, in yeah. whatever you're doing. So, right, right. No, that's very well said. And you know, it's kind of cool when you you even get away from some of that technology. Go go the yes. Jesse's way, being yep. more primitive. Mm-hmm. You know, you uh, you get to enjoy the woods in a different way. So much less disturbance. You know, uh, last year I just moved to the the farm that I live on now, and I just didn't have time. I was too busy working on the house, getting stuff moved in, and everything, and and uh, t- tackling the honeydew list. Right. And uh, didn't have a chance to get cameras up. And it was just mm-hmm. cool to get out there in the stands, see who's who, yep. walking around the farm that year. And, yeah, just a, a cool way to do it. Now, some other big news in the hunting world. You may have heard of this one. This is wild. I like it, I think, right? And that's probably how you're going to feel after we talk about it a little bit. But uh, there's two days left. I think it's too late to put in for a tag at this point. But uh, Nebraska. So Caleb, my neighbor to the west, um, they uh, – that's that's the closest elk state for us. I suppose South Dakota, you can get into some elk there on the western edge. But uh, now even in that, that northwest part of Nebraska, there's an elk herd of about 3,000 uh, elk that have been kind of moving back into the state. Now, of course, this part of the country used to have elk at one time. Elk used to be a very widely distributed species across um, uh, uh North America. And in fact, I was just talking with uh, uh, Pastor uh, Robbie, right, uh, from Kentucky. Uh, you know, that's that's where old Daniel Boone uh, was uh, running around and, and uh, stacking them up back in the day. And uh, um, they've recently, uh, I think it was in the 80s and 90s, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation brought elk back to the eastern part of the, the country. And uh, all the elk were gone from Kentucky. All the elk were gone east of the Mississippi. And uh, they've brought elk back there. They brought elk up into Pennsylvania now even. And uh, you might even be able to find a few places in uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota where you can find some elk. But uh, over in our neck of the woods, Illinois, Iowa, and now not anymore, but at one time, Nebraska, we had no elk. We still have none in Iowa or Illinois. Uh, or Indiana, for that matter, I believe. But um, I think that day is going to change. And it definitely has changed in Nebraska. And it's brought about a, uh, a bit of a challenge for landowners, farmers, right? You have these uh, giant eating machines that uh, need a place to live, that have a wallowing habit, right? And any of you ever been around uh, hog farming before, you can see uh, what those hog lots <laughs> <laughs> look like after uh, uh, you've uh, been running hogs there for a few years. You know, they just tear the place up. And uh, so landowners in northwest Nebraska have been uh, get a little bit upset with, with the elk herd. And uh, in a good way, I think, although I'll let the other guys weigh in on this here in a second, 
Uh, the state said, you know what, let's uh, let's not just deal with this the uh, Manhattan Island way where they give, you know, like uh, elk vasectomies out, state-funded elk vas- vasectomies, like they do with the whitetail of Central Park yeah. in uh, New York City. Let's let uh, hunters um, try and mitigate the problem for us. But there's a little hang-up in there that's got a lot of people up in arms a little bit, and I'll let the other guys kind of weigh in on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's cool that, you know, it's really – kind of prep to be a landowner type of thing. And so basically what they're allowing, you know, during this month is for landowners to be able to go in and essentially if you meet the criteria for the amount of acreage or not, you can take either, you know, one one elk, you know, male or 80 male, acres, 80 right? acres. Yep. Yep. And so it's given these landowners an option to be able to go in and really kind of take advantage on the, on the positive side of things, take advantage of the, of the, the, you know, we all know what the summer pattern is probably for whitetails as they get into, you know, the, the, the fall, they transition patterns, giving these hunters an ability to take advantage of the elk hunting prior to the pattern transitioning a little bit. And so that's part of the scope of things. Did you want to comment a little bit more? On I mean, your yeah, side I mean you, yeah. you have to have access to that private land. Yeah, and yeah. like someone like me, I, I mean, I love knocking on doors, asking yeah. permission. I don't know if you guys world's did. best permission. Seeker right there, <laughs> I don't you do that. If you guys go, knock go on him. the door and, you know, make that relationship with the farmer, it's kind of old school, but I really enjoy that. Um, so for me, when I'm like, oh, it's private land, no problem. Like, I'll just, let's go get some coffee with some farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I may, maybe I would have even gotten a tag. I don't know. You know, it's yeah, one of those right. things like a, a velvet bowl. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but it's one of those things, yeah, where it definitely puts up a barrier. You've got it. You have to be on that private land of a certain size, which makes it difficult for mm-hmm. most of the general population. Um, definitely a risk to even put in for that tag, right? Yeah. To even think, I've got to put in for this and I got to go find permission. Yep. The funny thing is I was telling Kent, I drove right through the area. If you can see it online, you can look at the map area. Um, if you've driven to like Denver this summer, you drove right through the heart of it, like right where this hunt's going on. And I was like, man, that was like mid-June. I, I probably could have just started driving around all these farms. <laughs> Get some and just say, hey, yeah, yeah, hey right. I'm putting in for a tag if you give me permission type of thing. You know, I'll help you out. But um, yeah, it's definitely, it's pretty interesting that, yeah. that, that the way that's yeah. set up. Yeah, sure. You can definitely see the, the side of the, the guy that doesn't, necessarily have skin in the game like yeah like right. the, the farmers and the ranchers you know it's their land that's yep. being damaged by mm-hmm. these elk mm-hmm. and uh you know you see similarly with the hogs like you mentioned causing yeah. damage it's the guys yeah. that have skin in the game yeah per se yeah you know the guys that own the property yeah, that's true that's a good that, point you know so in that way i can see landowners being given preference yes and the opportunity to to give out those tags and have yeah. those opportunities right. I mean, I think one of the things that's cool, too, is these state wildlife agencies, the way they manage things, I mean, they can make changes over the over the course of years. If they if you reduce the population like you want to, then great, you can continue doing it. If you don't, OK, maybe start allowing more access and yeah, things like that. So, that's, yeah. you know, that's where these state wildlife agencies are always looking to collect data so they can understand where, where things stand to make those changes as needed. Right, right. Yeah, I think the two main rubs that you see for hunters within this is the private access. But I like Jesse's point. Those are the people that have the skin in the game, the people that stand to lose the most. Mm -hmm. Hunters are worried about what about the trophy loss, right? And I think it was really smart that they had the hunt in July Mm -hmm. because fawns are getting old, or not fawns, calves are getting old enough at this point to kind of fend for themselves a little bit. And uh, you're not real motivated to shoot a big trophy bull because uh, you're going to go up to grab his, grab him by the antlers, and they're going to like flop mm. over on your hand because yeah, yeah, <laughs> you right, know it's right, all soft right, tissue right. still. They haven't yeah. hardened up yet, and mm-hmm. so there's not really a ton of motivation to go and you know slay a trophy bull. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, 
puts more of that focus on killing a cow or or even a even a calf, mm-hmm. and uh, which is the goal, right? It's a depredation hunt trying to lower that population. Yep. Well, the last thing that we want to hit here when we're talking the what's making the news in the hunting world is something that's actually not really new news. This has been going on for a long time. It's known as a blue law or a law that's, that goes all the way back to kind of the Puritan days of settlement in our country. Yep. And, and uh, as a result of that, you know, these are really only laws that you see affecting the, the East Coast. Yep. Um, Sunday hunting bans, right? Yep. Uh, no hunting on Sunday. And uh, th- that stems out of an original idea, the complaint being, hey, where's all the guys? Why aren't they at church this morning? <laughs> yeah, no, that's because yeah. they're out, uh, you know, whacking a buck somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so be- evidently it's a big enough problem or potential problem as seen by original lawmakers that there are a lot of states that have some form of a Sunday hunting restriction or even an outright ban Mm -hmm. and uh it's been coming up in the news a lot more lately and uh states have some states have been peeling back on that i think caleb you had some research that that went along with that a little bit i mean just to comment on the elk thing we maybe they should have wrote in they have to approach from the west so that they push all the elk east oh yeah (laughs) there we go let's get some yeah we'll take some of those states right maybe maybe we should have petitioned for that some of us eastern states further um, but yeah, with these, these Sunday, uh, bans, it's something that's been slowly being repealed over time. I think there's only two States left that yeah, have we, a full ban yeah. for mm-hmm. Sunday hunting. And then yep. everything else have kind of dissected it down into different, you know, w- private land, public land, different counties. Yep. Um, it's become species. a little bit of a mm-hmm. yeah, species. Yep. yep. There, there's yep. a lot of restrictions on it that, that have that's changed in a positive way in the sense of, of hunting. But I mean, one of the hot ticket items is right. Like a lot of us work a nine to five or a Monday through Friday. Yep. When are we supposed to get out and hunt? And that cuts your weekend in half. So that's been, you know, that's a hot topic yeah. oh, around yeah. that conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think proponents, you know, I mean, I, and I, growing up in Delaware, I still remember being on a forum like 10 years ago. And this was when Delaware still had a full ban. And, uh, you know, coming from a Christian <laughs> perspective and, you know, I remember guys saying, man, I'm super excited about, you know, being able to get out and hunting. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know, but I mean, I hope it really doesn't discourage, you know, the church attendance and things like that, yeah, you know, and, right, and that was right. kind of my initial thinking, but you know, of course, a big part of hunting is, is hunter recruitment. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's, yeah. that's huge. And having that available time yeah, in which to do it is really critical. And so I think it's, I think it's ultimately a, a net positive, you know, in many ways for the additional money, the additional recruitment that comes in for these wildlife agencies to continue moving things forward in a positive way. Right. Right. Well, and, and how many guys work five day weeks? You know, got a job where you can't, you can't, you don't have the time off availability to, uh, you know, be able to hunt more than a Saturday a week. Mm -hmm. And if that's all you're limited to, it's hard to really get into hunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can, I mean, how often all of us in here that hunt, I mean, we, we get out there and we may think it's the perfect day. You know, you wake up and you're seeing red, it's a buck killing day. You know, you got that nice cold front that's (laughs) moved in. You got the wind, right? You're uh, actually out of bed in time or whatever, and you get out there and nothing happens, you know? Yeah, and if right that's on. your Saturday, uh-huh. and now you got to wait till next Saturday, uh-huh. and next Saturday it's 80 degrees, the mosquitoes are unrelenting, and, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you know, the bucks don't show up till 2 a.m., <laughs> you know, that can get – you can maybe start – taking up something like golf you're pretty yeah. quick right well and for those of us who have been hunting for a long time you know like my wife initially she thought we were saving money when i brought home meat 
That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Shout out to Noel Gandy right now. Uh, pictures outdoors. Yeah. After after a few years, she caught on. She realized uh, that uh, that meat's probably like uh, twenty dollars a pound. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Most expensive meat on the planet, right? Yeah. When you factor in the you cost. Get the shoulder of... mount done too. Then you know you're really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always tell her memories are priceless, yeah. man. Memories that's are priceless. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Well, that's right. A personal note for me and Kent is like for the, me this past fall. If I had had a, a Sunday hunting ban, I was hunting in Illinois. I wouldn't have shot the deer I shot. I yeah, shot yeah, a really yeah. nice. My biggest buck to date, but it was on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was telling these guys, I literally texted my pastor that morning. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to make it to church. I just <laughs> shot a whopper. You know, I, yeah. can't, I can't make it. You yeah. know, he's like, oh, that's awesome. But yeah. it's like one of those things where if I had that ban, um, and, and to touch on the trail camera thing too, I probably wouldn't have even hunted that morning had mm. I not had a camera up mm. that I was able to check. It wasn't a cell cam. It was an old school one. Um, but, but it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, if that Sunday band is there, I'm just sitting in church crying a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Maybe the pastor yeah. probably would think he's giving a great message. Oh man. This, no, it's Spirit's but, moving. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. one of those things, even personally, I'm like, man, when we've been talking about this and I've been reading about it, I'm like, this directly affects somebody like me. Yeah. If I was in one of those States, it would have been really unfortunate. Yeah. 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 And that's really the, the beauty of uh, true Christianity too, is it's a relationship with Christ, right? It's not this list of rules that yes, I have yes, to, yes, yes, well said, you know, and it's, and that's what I love about, you know, if I, if the Lord is cool with me going hunting on Sunday, then let's <laughs> yeah, go. Right that's right. <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah. That, that, that's my first ever buck right there. You see in that I had to use a selfie stick cause I was the only one hunting. That's part of the, the, the charms of being a first gen hunter, right? You got to do everything by yourself. <laughs> and, uh, um, that was on a Sunday. I, I shot that buck. It was a Sunday morning. Um, uh, and uh like caleb said had i had a sunday hunting ban not not ever going to happen right mm-hmm. so uh yeah pretty cool to weigh in on that now we're going to shift gears here we're going to give in a minute here we're going to have you guys weigh in on these things you're going to see a way up on the screen here in a little bit where you can go and vote we're going to get some some real-time results on your voting we're going to see how the everyone here thinks I already all of us guys have already weighed in so You'll see how we kind of break down. We're not the same on everything, which I think is cool. Yeah. I think it's good. I think uh, our our society would do well if we could learn to disagree with mm. each other better, right? Very well said. But um, uh, it'd be fun to see everybody's uh, point of view on that. But we're going to switch the gear over to you guys. We're going to start talking about Indiana. Indiana was a, uh, uh, a special place for this to happen. And this, I think, is such a unique time. We talked a little bit about the Huff Buck already, mm. right? We're going to talk about that a little bit more here. But um, even uh, the first thing I wanted to, to talk about was several years ago, John was starting to get into hunting. And I was like, John, you find us a place to hunt, buddy. I'm, I'm headed your way. We'll do a gun season together or whatever. And we were looking at it. And I was looking at some uh, hunting laws for non-residents in Indiana. And I came across this really unique um, uh, little, you know, kind of one of those laws that everyone probably skims over. And it's called a reciprocity law. And uh, I think this says a lot about your state. I think it's a really cool thing. Indiana goes the distance to serve you here in a better way. And what this reciprocity law states is that me, a guy from Iowa, so a non-resident here in Indiana, if I want to hunt this state, let's say I go and i like, whoa, somebody just shot the new national record whitetail. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy a, you know, a 40 acre piece out here in Indiana and I'm going to come down here and hunt every year and maybe I'll have a shot at, you know, shooting a monster. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm a landowner in Indiana, but I don't live in Indiana and I want to come and hunt here, I can do so for free as long as my state allows an Indiana 
resident who owns ground in Iowa to go and hunt their ground for free. Mm-hmm. Iowa doesn't allow that. Iowa is a very limited access state because we're a trophy buck state like like Indiana. Just lock and key there in, in Iowa. You got to usually it takes Caleb knows more about this because his dad's going through this right now. But it's I think it's about a four year process to get a zone, a really good zone in yep. Iowa. Uh, to draw a whitetail tag. So let's say somebody living here in Indiana buys a 40-acre piece in Iowa. They may not be able to hunt that 40-acre piece, depending on what zone it is, for four years before they're able to draw a tag. So Indiana says, yeah, we think that's stupid. So if you want to come hunt Iowa, if you want to come hunt here in Indiana, um, you got to you got to pay for a, a non-resident license or a landowner license, whatever it is, uh, to hunt here. So it's going to cost you money to come hunt our state too. And I think that's kind of cool that uh, Indiana stands up for you guys like that and uh, has a law that really extends, that protects you beyond your own borders, right? It, it puts a little pressure on surrounding states to uh, make hunting a little more accessible mm-hmm. for Indiana hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, even outside the state. So I thought that was kind of cool just looking at what's a what's a unique thing here in, in Indiana. But um, I also, in preparation for this, I was like, you know what? I've never hunted or fished in Indiana. I've, I've hunted and fished in a lot of different states around the country. And uh, I've never done it here, though, in Indiana. <clears throat> Hoping to change that someday. But uh, I was like, I need to talk to somebody who really knows it well. And so why not go to the top, right? So I Googled who's the uh, director or the, the, the top dog for Indiana DNR. I sent the guy an email, and uh, he said, that was a, that's a great question. I, you know, I said, what, just tell me about hunting. Give me a sentiment on uh, hunting uh, and fishing in Indiana. Describe it to me a little bit. And then he sent me over to uh, Amanda Wustfeld, uh, who is the director of fisheries and wildlife for the Indiana uh, uh, DNR. And this was her statement here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to, my eyes can't see that very well. I'm getting older, but um, I'll pull it up here on my, my own end and, and just read what she said here. Ooh, that's tiny, Brandon. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There you go. Amanda says, Indiana is like many of the great states when it comes to fishing and hunting opportunities. Our fishery is pretty diverse, ranging from Lake Michigan, so up on the north end, right? From Lake Michigan to our big river systems like the Ohio River and the Wabash River, plus natural lakes in the northern third of the state and reservoirs in the southern portion. Panfish are the most popular species fished for, but we have some great salmon and trout spots as well as bass, walleye, and muskie. On the hunting side, fall deer and spring turkey are the big seasons for many of our hunters, but we have some great waterfowl areas during fall migration. Indiana has a very open system when it comes to our tags and licenses. Everything is sold over the counter, but we do have some limited draws or draws for access to our properties on opening days. But otherwise, properties are sign in, walk up the rest of the time. And I thought that was just a great little summary there. You can tell she has a lot of pride here being being a, a native of the state and a resident of the state, I, or I should say. And actually, through emailing back and forth with Amanda, um, she uh, told me that she runs squirrel dogs. That's pretty hardcore hunter there. Uh, yeah. Someone who still runs uh, squirrel dogs <laughs> out in the woods. Uh, that's somebody who likes to be out there. And definitely, you guys have the the, the hardwood forest here around here that would uh, uh, be great for whacking some some squirrels. Something near and dear to Brandon's heart. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's great, too, when states, like you said, can't really step up and do their part to improve access, encourage recruitment and things like that. And I mean, I know Iowa is a little bit more restricted and they've got their reasons on that side of things. You yeah. Know, whatnot, yeah. And, and that's fine. But it's nice, too, when and we're going to talk about this a little bit more when states can work together. Yeah, you know, because we're all on the same team. You know, yep. ultimately, as hunters and, and outdoorsmen, we're all on the same team. So what can we do to be unified, to connect and make that a better thing for everyone? You right. Know? Yeah, yeah, well I, said. I think it's like I got to start researching those other states yeah. that would reciprocate yeah, that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now in order to invest, start investing yeah, some land, right? Yeah. Or I'm, you know, that's a unique thing. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that, maybe <laughs> that discourages someone from going to Iowa. I don't know, but, <laughs> yeah, but right, right. Uh, which people and I would probably but, prefer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's more like. But it's like, yeah, yeah. what are the terrible hunting here? Right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, that's that's all great points. Well, the next thing we want to weigh in on because it is such huge news. We're all avid deer hunters here. I think if we went down the list and said, "What's your favorite thing to hunt?" We'd probably we'd probably all say uh, deer. We hunt all kinds of things. I just did a uh, spring bear hunt out in Montana this spring, and man, I can see how people fall in love with that. That that was a great time. But but my heart comes home to uh, the whitetails of Iowa, and uh, seeing the huff buck. I don't know if you've seen a picture of this. Um, if you got a cell phone on you right now, just go ahead and Google that, mm-hmm. the huff buck. And if you haven't seen it yet, just a tremendous specimen. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, j- I believe he scored 211 inches was his net, right? That's his Boone and Crockett score. 211 yep. mm-hmm. yep. and 4 eighths. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's a buck, <laughs> yeah. what, once in a thousand lifetimes. Yeah. I mean, uh, to even see an animal mm-hmm. like that, let alone getting a, a kill shot on him. Yeah. Just incredible. Well, and, and I don't know if you, some of you guys might know the story behind the Huffbuck a little bit, but it's kind of interesting. You know, sometimes you read stories and you're like, you know, guys like, man, I, I put in, you know, 30 years and, and you know, I knew every deer on my property and, and whatever right, else. Right. You know, this guy goes out. He's a he's a country music um, songwriter. Goes out, really didn't have any history with this buck. And there's some interesting, you know, side information on that as well. But just kind of an average Joe just goes out there. And even when he shot it and he came up to it, he was thinking 160, 170, you know, so which kind of speaks to, you know, maybe how inexperienced in one sense he was to see a buck like that and not realize how truly huge it was. Right. Um, but you do want to speak a little bit to the other history sure. that was with it. You yeah, know? There, there's a, I, I, so I listened to a, a podcast that Exodus Trail Cameras did, and there was, there was two guys who had had history with the buck, as you, as a lot of whitetail hunters do, you know, you kind of track a deer over time, mm-hmm. uh, if you can manage your property a little bit. So they had pictures of him since he was three and a half years old. And so they, they interviewed these two guys that had this history with him. Um, and an interesting feature of the deer himself and his, his attitude is he'd yeah. show up the, once a year. And I guess your season ends sometime in December, early January or something. But it was like really late December, right towards the end of the season. He'd start showing up. And he mm-hmm. so, did that every year from three and a half, four and a half, and five and a half. And, um, and then when he was five and a half, they noticed he had a lump on his head, which I, which I thought was interesting. They highlighted that in this podcast. And, um, later on when they were ta- chatting about it, they were, they were saying that from where that picture was taken to where the huff buck was harvested was about eight yeah. and a half or nine mm-hmm. miles mm-hmm. is where that deer traveled. Yeah. And that's so, just insane. Yeah. I mean, there, and I think that's really what encapsulates what makes whitetail hunting so incredible is the mystery behind it. You cannot, you cannot like totally figure these critters out, yep. right? They, they're impossible to pin down. And this would be a great time to talk about uh, one of our sponsors, we're going to run a commercial for him here in a second. 
Um, Caleb's going to actually do that for us. But uh, a good friend of mine, Bill Thompson of Spartan Forge, founder of Spartan Forge, which is a deer prediction, deer behavior prediction app, uses hundreds of years, not thousands of years at this point, of white-tailed deer GPS collar data, right? So tracking wherever these deer go, whatever time of year mm-hmm. during weather, you know, different weather conditions and whatnot during the, the the hormonal changes in a deer's life throughout that season. He said you would see deer that would just disappear. You know, when you'd look at that were collared, you know, these mature bucks, they would they'd be you know 10, 12 years old maybe, and they were living in a way that they were just never going to be killed. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the ultimate evader yep. of, of hunting pressure. Another good friend of mine, Chris Dyer, who's one of the best whitetail hunters I know, he uh, he's talked about how he's seen deer that will uh, uh, almost revert. You know, you're talking a mature buck will revert to some of its fawn behavior for, for avoiding predation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he once uh, uh, shot a buck that was laying on the ground, kind of like your dog does on the floor with its head between its, its feet because uh, I was trying to stay invisible in the middle of this, this grass field, mm-hmm. you know, just incredible animals. Yeah. And so the fact that Dustin Huff, I mean, hats off to him for getting the drop on this, yeah. this animal and uh, getting it done. Well, and what's really cool too is, you know, if you guys, I don't know if you guys have ever done any reading with the quality of your management association as well. They do a lot of GPS studies and different things. And as a buck gets older, traditionally its home range gets a lot smaller. Right. So what's really interesting, you know, here you got this buck, you know, right. and, and it's 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 not an exact science, obviously. Right. Because right you have on. this huge buck that is showing up eight and a half miles away. Right. You know, so it's just amazing. Like you said, Kent, you you think you might know it. Science right, shows right, you something, right. but there's there's always variances. Still so much that, mystery. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, yep. the, to two points to that one is that you know that buck whether he maybe he was ranging there all the time anyway because yes. they never got pictures of him. Yes. Maybe that's how far away he was and he was traveling. Right. But this the other big point that was a takeaway, and I think this can be relatable to all of us, yeah. is that, hey, the guy was out in the woods, first of all. you yeah. know He was out there hunting. He was in the right place at the right time, that there's yep. always an element of luck. And mm-hmm. so, you know, even if we don't, I, I, and I think another, like with trail cameras, you know, that those guys, they were getting one picture and a lot of other guys didn't really have pictures of this yes. bus. There wasn't a lot of press around it mm-hmm. in that way. But the trail camera gives you one angle of one property on that whatever right there. That's right. all you see. So yeah. like, they're, what's walking behind the Absolutely, camera? Absolutely. So yeah. even even to that yeah. point of like, mm-hmm. you know what? Just because you only got you know whatever what, what, a buck yeah. that maybe is not exciting well, you so. too much. Yeah. That could just be the hey. That's just that. That's just that area. So yes. I mean, that's that, that's why we get out there. Another yep. reason why it's like you never know. I mean, you know, he would he went out yeah. there. It's like whatever. Like yeah. gonna hunt this ridge. Or and oh my goodness, there. Yeah. Here's a giant, which is, is kind of funny, right? Yeah. He didn't know how big it was, like Kent mentioned. Yes. Right. And one of his friends was like, hey, man, you got to like like lock that thing yeah. in a cooler. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And, like, yeah, lock don't it tell underneath anybody. something. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, you yeah. lock that thing down. Yeah, just, I, I, I can't even imagine seeing that. But I, well, the other cool thing that I like about it, so Brandon was kind of describing here. Dustin Huff really seems like one of us, right? He's 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 an everyday guy, mm-hmm. um, you know, hard worker, and, yep. and you know, didn't have – didn't have all the resources at hand to, to sort of uh, buy this buck, mm-hmm. right? By having all the latest grazing and equipment. Mm-hmm. But something also near and dear to Brandon's heart is what he killed it with. That is true. He, so he he did kill it with a crossbow, um, which of course can be a little contentious. You right. know, it has been over time. Um, I grew up in a state where you know initially growing up for many years it was you could only hunt with a crossbow if you were handicapped. Um, and that's and that's been the case in many states, you know. Yeah, they, in Iowa, that's still the case. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, of course, this is now a you know, world record for a crossbow. 
And uh, so, you know, we've got to talking about it a little bit. And, you know, one of the reasons I love to crossbow hunt is probably like a lot of you guys, I have very limited time, you know, a very busy schedule. You know, I've got three kids, a very busy job. And so the ability to be able to, you know, there's a side of it, you know, that says you want to respect the animal enough to make sure that you're prepared enough. Right. So if you're going to go, and for those of us who love to go, we're going to go. Yeah. And if you're going to go, you want to be prepared enough to make sure that you're going to make a clean harvest. And so the thing that I've found for myself, just with my available time, is my ability to be able to practice that quickly, kind of get it zoned in, and then I'm able to be successful. And so, you know, now my brother, he's a hardcore compound guy. He's not going to, you know... He's not going to, he, he's, and he, his, his vision is horrible, but he's yeah. like, I'm still not going to do the crossbow. And I mean, I have all the respect in the world for that. You know, Jesse, you know, I know you can speak to a little bit with, you know, the equipment that you use on your side of things, you know? Right. Yeah. I, and I love the, the, the kind of closeness you get with the animal being on the ground with homemade equipment, but not everybody has that desire or that ability or that time, the time available yeah. Yeah, to do right. that. And so right. I love that about the crossbow, which anybody who can shoot a rifle can pick up a crossbow and go yeah. out and make sure they're dialed in and and like like dustin huff be able to and i think he shot it at a little bit farther too yeah. right was it 40, 40 yards 40 yards okay i was gonna ask yeah that, yeah that's not something you can just without practicing right. be able to do with anything yeah, yeah. but a crossbow right. in my opinion and i yeah. think we all agree that it, it doesn't matter what what equipment we would have gun what a bow yeah, right. i mean if the buck like that's walking by it's like it's we yeah. got it we got to get that thing to take a dirt nap soon right? <laughs> yeah, we gotta absolutely. get that thing down so yeah that's that's definitely something that and i like the ethical point like yes. that's it's an ethical argument a lot of the time yeah. right are, are we yes. is it ethical to allow this type of hunting for archery season but on the flip side like you're saying yeah it's really ethical because i can ethically take these animals yes and i don't have to go out there and you know, oh man, I can only hunt with a compound. I got to grab my compound. I haven't shot it in 18 months. Yes. You know, and I go out there and I, I'm, you know, I'm shooting a deer in the leg. You know, and then yeah. that gives hunters a bad reputation. Yes. So that's yeah. definitely a great point. You yeah. know, a great, a great thing that crossbow hunting can do. Yes. Well, and it's it's a great reminder too that once again, kind of that theme, we're all on the same team. Right. You yep. know, and so there's room to obviously disagree and have our own opinions, but at the end of the day, we are still on the same team, and we want to unite around that. Yeah, and it's an access thing. You know, it gives yeah. more people a chance yep. to get into it. Yep. You know, it's hard. You know, again, be, being a first gen hunter, it's hard to pick up a bow and learn that. And I've had my struggles, and we're going to talk a little bit about about uh, misses we've mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. and and uh, just some of the the challenges with with figuring archery tackle out. It's just it's it's a very time consuming thing yeah and you got to have space to practice and, and you gotta you know it's uh, you can't just take any bow you know it's got to be tuned and what is that all about you know you got to match your draw length and your whereas a crossbow you can go buy that thing pull it out of the box figure out how to cock the thing don't forget yep. to hold your thumb down yep. yeah <laughs> don't be a thumb whacker right yeah never do that i had a neighbor once man he stuck his thumb up oh, like this oh, no. on a oh. forend of his uh of his uh, crossbow and that string came right across oh, his finger. Now uh, it'll just, take it off. Just splintered that yeah, bad yeah. boy pretty mm-hmm. much. I mean, it yeah. is. It was. It was. It was a nasty deal there. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah. So the other cool thing here, as uh, we're going to be wrapping up this segment here, then we're going to get to the poll as we finish this segment. But a really cool thing here, and uh, uh, <laughs> we we talked about this earlier. You know, what would we do, right? And you're going to get a chance to answer that question when you when you get to our little poll here is uh, Dustin Huff was offered, uh, as most people are, I thought this was a myth, and recently I heard it, oh, maybe a year or two ago uh, uh, through uh, Mediator, the Mediator podcast, totally legit. People shoot a giant 
animal. Uh, there are people waiting to offer you money for that specimen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, not just a little bit of money, a mm-hmm. lot of money. Yeah. Um, uh, the story I've heard is the, the Brewster Buck. Uh, that guy was offered basically a blank check by somebody who could fill up, who could fill the demands of a blank mm-hmm. check. Mm-hmm. Um, Dustin Huff, I don't know how much he was offered, but he was offered uh, a money for the rack off of that buck that he killed, or I assume the, the mount, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he took it. He took the money. And I believe the story is he was given also a replica rack. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a couple companies out there that you can uh, look up where they can – they can take the measurements off of an antler and essentially 3D print you yep. the exact same antler. It's just made out of plastic or whatever instead of uh, uh, or clay or whatever mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of um, um, actual bone. Mm-hmm. But uh, he took the money and took the replica because he used the money to pay for some of his dad's health needs, which I thought was fantastic. And so, uh, you know, I've often thought, you know, if I ever am in that position, somebody says, Here's a blank check for that giant you just shot. As long as they give me the replica, mm-hmm. I'm taking it. You know, your name, yeah, man. you get the, the buck is immortalized at that point, right? Yeah. Ends yeah. up in a Bass Pro, we'll say. Yeah. You know, they say, oh, this is the this is the Dustin Huff buck or yeah. whatever. And and this is the score. And people, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, not millions of people, walking by that thing for years and years going, holy smokes, look at that. Yeah. You know, that's. Yeah. I mean, what more can you ask mm-hmm. for, for one? Yeah, that's definitely something like to to respect that animal too. Mm-hmm. I love that's one thing I love about it. Like the the buck I killed this past fall, it's like, man, I think it's a pretty old deer, right? I I want to out of res- my respect for that animal that I have. I'm like, I want to get this thing mounted. Yeah, you know, and uh, we'll talk some more about some of those things later about respecting the animals and yeah. Uh, but I think that's a hunter awareness. Like we're talking yeah. about getting more people hunting with whatever mm-hmm. it is, crossbow laws or or whatever it might be, different ways to get people involved. That's a great way. Yeah, walking a Bass Pro. You go, wow, this is a magnificent animal. It's like, right. well, yes, it is. That's why, like, so many people are just marveled at white-tailed yeah. deer. Who doesn't want something be? in the, basically, the hunting and fishing museum of the world? <laughs> right, right, right. right, right. right on, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and what do you do when when we do reach the end of our lives and we have all these mounts racked up yeah. and your kids are looking at it and maybe they're really into hunting, but they're like, dude, dad, I want to put my bucks on my wall, not yours, <laughs> right? And uh, have a way to conveniently offload that a little bit. So that's gonna you're actually going to see that question for yourself on the little poll here. So, uh, John, if you wouldn't mind, uh, John is our engineer today. If you wouldn't mind pulling that up. we got a QR code but also a website link there that uh, if you wouldn't mind pulling up our little uh, audience poll and weighing in on the questions, John's going to kind of pop those up uh, for you to uh, go ahead and uh, weigh nice. your opinion. Yeah, nice. on uh, what you think about some of these. My phone, even. It's right here. Nice. Yeah, that's right. Caleb's got it pulled up. So go ahead and pull that up. Go ahead and weigh in on it. We're going to actually take an intermission at this point while you're working through that. And uh, this would be a good time if you want to come up and, I don't know, ask us a few questions or whatever. We'll be happy to help with that. These three are much more experienced than I am in the woods, but uh, I might be able to tell you a wrong uh, way to do something or something <laughs> like that, too. But, but, um, We'll go ahead and take a bit of an intermission right now, and uh, we'll pick buck, b- pick. Man, I got bucks on my my mind right now. <laughs> pick back up in about uh, ten minutes or so. All right, thank you, John. Thank you, everyone, for uh, coming back to the second part of the show. We're excited to be here. Uh, we got some cool stuff to talk about. We had a couple of great questions. It's fun to see the breakdown of the voting. Um, we're all pretty much in agreement on everything. I like that. But there are a couple of hard no's out there. I like that, too. People know where they stand, know what uh, know what they uh, uh, would do in a certain situation. I like that. 
I'm a, I'm always a sort of guy, right? I try to look <laughs> at things both ways and, and, uh, uh, you know, kind of have an open mind, but it's good to have that, uh, conviction there as well. A couple of great questions. Um, we'll, uh, uh, hit this one first is the first question we got. And uh, the question, uh, I think you can see it up there. Yep. Says if your land is mainly farm ground, corn or soybeans, of course, around here, right? Be great if we could add some of that diversity back. But that's the truth for the breadbasket here. Do you wait until crops are out or hunt over the crops? That's a fantastic question. Um, actually, uh, one of your guys here at the church, uh, Ryan is his name. I think it is his last name Brooks, maybe. Ryan Brooks, is that your name? Shout out to Ryan Brooks here on the First Gen Hunter podcast. Uh, he and I were, were uh, talking about this. We had the, the same mindset. We actually like hunting while the crops are in. In fact, uh, my field uh, or the farm that I live on and I, you know, I get a farm right out my back or hunt right out my back door. Um, that's really the only time when you can predictably hunt that farm and and know you're going to see deer is uh, when the crops are up. Uh that is a Midwestern forest, right? A cornfield is a Midwestern forest. And it's also a perfect, you know, set of cover, standing cover for access. Uh, one of the best things in the world is a windy day in dried out standing cornfields where the corn's above your head. You can walk wherever you please. And uh, your scent is held down. Your noise level of moving around is held down. You can get in real tight to where uh, uh, bucks are, uh, you know, bedding or staging before they really step out at last light. And so, um, absolutely, I love hunting when the crops are still up. And I think a lot of guys, a lot of guys complain about that uh, uh, too much. You know, like, oh, I can't see any deer. The corn's still standing. You just got to find a creative way. And a lot of times that means getting out of the tree stand, too, and get bring the fight back to the ground. You know, do the old ground and pound. Um, the other one is... I'll, uh, I'm actually going to let Jesse answer this question. we got a time constraint here, so we're, we're just going to have one person answer each of these. Uh, this is a great one. Jesse, you're the most primitive uh, hunter here. You're the total outdoorsman that we got. Jesse's been making all these arrows, by the way. He's gonna give, we're going to give these arrows away. There's going to be a, we're going to do a giveaway here. It's going to involve him shooting at a target, your, your, your number and letter on your seat, all that. Which animal do you think you could beat in a fight? Barehanded, no prep time either. Mono, mono, one on one. Ooh, what do you think? I don't know, man. Uh, barehanded. Do I got a stone knife or a steel knife or barehanded? Barehanded. Man. Oh shoot. We'll we'll start small. We'll work our way up. Squirrel. Squirrel. Oh, I doubt it, man. <laughs> that thing's crazy, got some man. teeth on it. Right I don't there know if I can beat it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get you. yeah. You got to <laughs> okay, get him around so, the neck. So, so first no, no squirrel. There we go. Okay, he's got the tack now. What about yeah. raccoon? We're building it up. Raccoon. Oh. No, I don't think so. I've seen them take a dog out, so I don't yeah, think I'm. Yeah, they're feisty. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tackle one barehanded. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, let's go with <laughs> yeah. rabbit. Yeah, can you take a rabbit? All right, I think I could take a rabbit. They, they got a pretty, uh, pretty thin skin, so. <laughs> yep. Still yep. gonna get some scratches out of it, but I think I can take a rabbit. <laughs> and your eardrums are gonna, gonna be burst. From yes. That squeal, that, that terrible yeah. death squeal that rabbits let out. But, yeah. So and then we can just assume, you know, moose, bear. Uh, uh, even a, even a big whitetail, you know, you, I've seen that a few years. You know, yeah. maybe a little natural selection starting to take off. The whitetails are uh, kind of figuring us out. You know, a guy goes walking up, thinks that the deer's dead. Mm -hmm. Next thing, he is. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there's there's all kinds of dangers out yeah, there in the woods. Tough. I don't know. 
Yeah, but with this next one, we're going to go ahead and kick it off. I want to, first of all, give a shout out to the presenting sponsor of the show, which is Spartan Forge. Caleb is a religious user of the Spartan Forge app, and he's going to tell us what he likes about it. Yeah, I'm a new customer with it, too. And uh, I mean, one of the things that I noticed right away is the affordability of the app is it's it's like 40 bucks a year, I think. And so really, it's something that I could easily convince my wife to do, um, you know, more than anything, which I like. But uh, more than just a deer prediction app, it has it has a lot of different map layers. So you can use um, you can see property lines. You can see what what crops are planted on that property for each year. Um, and it, the, the, my favorite feature is that property line feature, and then I can drop pins right where my stand is. So if I, I went and put up a stand just a, a few weeks ago, had a nice cloudy day in the 70s, went out there, I put my stand up, and while I was in the stand, I was able to pull out the Spartan Forge app. And I was able to just drop a pin. So I know right where that stand is. If I'm going in there in the dark or something and I'm, if I'm getting a little turned around in the woods or whatever, I can pull that thing out and that, that's going to guide me there. Um, and then as well as just while I'm walking on any property, like I get permission on a lot of ground. Um, I like looking at those property lines. I, I, I can know that I'm staying within the boundaries that I've been given access to um, and I'm not infringing on you know the rights of the property owners adjacent to that or next to it. Yeah, yeah, love that. that. That's that's a great way to say it. So make sure you head over to, uh, yeah, you can actually go to the show notes on this episode, click on the link there for Spartan Forge, get yourself signed up with them. You will not regret it. It helps prioritize those best days to hunt. So make sure you do that. All right, let's go ahead and kick it off here by introducing who we actually are. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, I just felt like this might be a good point in the show to do that. And so uh, we're actually going to start here on the end here with Caleb Drake. Caleb is a uh, soon going to be launching his own channel known as Wildfoot Outdoors. It's going to be YouTube-based. So I'll be looking for that. Of course, there'll be a post on uh, on uh, all of my pages. You know, go to my uh, Instagram for First Gen Hunter or the Facebook page. If you're following along there, you'll see when Caleb launches through that or just remember to look up Wildfoot Outdoors. But Caleb is a collegiate coach for both cross-country and track and field at William Penn University in Oskaloosa, Iowa. And uh, I'm probably going to edit that part out because I don't want any of y'all <laughs> listening to this podcast cinching up on our hunting ground. Yeah, I don't want but, to know uh, where we are. <laughs> Keep that a secret. No. That's right. That's right. He is a – he works at – no. Okay. Uh, world's best permission seeker, Caleb Drake. Uh, we get uh, – all kinds of crazy shed hunting axes, as you're about ready to see here in a second, uh, where uh, we both had a phenomenal year of shed hunting and uh, even hunting access now, too. We got some great places there to get after some Iowa slobs this fall, thanks to Caitlin or Caitlin's. <laughs> my wife uh caleb's permission caitlin, seek- caitlin too though because she'll, she'll yeah, let you hunt. that's right yeah, caitlin so lets me go that's wife. right yep. but uh thanks to caleb's world's best permission seeking and then uh you can follow along with caleb at all american underscore outdoorsman on instagram uh or you might he might even accept a friend request on facebook as well why not our next guy on the crew that we have here is uh the long uh the brother-in-law of uh, our engineer which is uh, John Hines over there, your, your assistant pastor here at, at Bethel Baptist. Uh, that would be Mr. Jesse Jeffley. I knew Jesse in college, and uh, Jesse's actually been a guest on the First Gen Hunter podcast talking turkey hunting a while back. It's about, we're about due to have him back on, even besides this episode. And uh, Jesse is the total outdoorsman, the complete outdoorsman. He does things in a primitive way, loves hunting with bows that he makes, with arrows that he makes. He's even starting to get into napping his own arrowheads. 
out of uh, stone and uh, just you know recovering some of those arts that would be totally lost to history if it wasn't for guys like him that that uh, care about that stuff and uh, Jesse uh, works in uh, uh, really kind of the the trades industry I guess you could say He's, he works with concrete and carpentry as well and uh, even does some farming stuff on the side along with the hunting so we're just lucky to have him. You can follow along with all of Jesse's stuff uh, at Primitive Preacher. And the preacher part comes from the fact that Jesse, on occasion, will uh, uh, do some uh, preaching for area churches where he lives, uh, active in his church there, which is just fantastic. Most important thing on that list, right? So you can follow along again on Facebook at Primitive Preacher. Next is the guy who's been here with me at First Gen Hunter since day one. Uh, that'd be Mr. Brandon Martin from Bear, Delaware. Uh, would you like me to take that bear part out too when I edit so people don't go looking for your ground? That's fine. They can come find me. <laughs> but uh, Brandon, he uh, we went to college together. Uh, Brandon is uh, like the most encouraging person you can ever meet. He's always uh, he's always uh, got a kind word to say, and he uh, manages a dental practice. Uh, super busy guy, works a lot of hours, but makes sure during the – uh, hunting season, he gets out. And one of the things that's impressed me most about Brandon is his um, generosity. He takes a ton of first-time hunters out. Uh, it hurts his chances at killing uh, bucks. Like, this guy's trophy wall could be twice as big as what it is if he didn't take the time to bring other people out hunting with him. So super generous in that way, manages a hunting club, uh, and kind of heads that up for all of his guys. And he is our seasoned vet. Uh, over 30 years of hunting experience, one of those guys who kind of the opposite of me. In fact, when I started First Gen Hunter, I knew I needed to have a guy like Brandon on board with me because I didn't even know what I didn't know, you know, coming into it as an adult. And uh, Brandon's always been there to kind of help me out with with all the finer details on hunting. And you can follow along. He's actually part of a uh, of another media channel known as The Hunt Fish Life, uh, thehuntfishlife.com. You can go and check out uh, Brandon and, and uh, his team there. You can also follow Brandon on uh, uh, Facebook. You can There's a couple of Hunt Fish Life pages. One's kind of a more private group where there's more discussion going on. One is more of a posting board. Make sure you look those up. Uh, you can see the, the labels for those there up on the screen. And uh, uh, there's also an Instagram channel as well, at HNTFSH underscore life. So uh, make sure you follow along there. And uh, in a second here, I'm going to have these guys present something that they brought along to show you, kind of tell you the story about it a little bit. Uh, you'll see a picture of a page right there. We're going to have Brandon talk about that in a second. And uh, finally, there's me, uh, the host of the First Gen Hunter podcast. I started First Gen Hunter back in June of uh uh, 2020 is when we had our launch date. This, When this airs, it'll be episode number 93. So uh, you can uh, go to whatever podcast hosting site that you like to use, and you'll find the podcast there. Um, it's just been a, a lot of fun getting to do this. I've learned so much. Uh, for a job, I'm a farmer, but not your typical farmer. As you see on my hat here, Hoxie Native Seeds is where I work. Uh, they're actually one of our sponsors for the show today. They uh, sent along a hat to give away to you guys. Um, uh, where we raise uh, prairie grasses and prairie flowers, do a lot of work with hunters wanting to set up a, you know, a little honey hole on their hunting ground. And uh, it just, man, it's a passion of mine to be outside every day 
and uh, enjoy the, the beautiful weather, enjoy God's creation through the seasons. I'm one of those guys who loves to be outside, even, you know, when it's like zero degrees and snowing in my face, that kind of thing. You know, I just can't get enough of it. So that's what I like to do. And I guess the best thing I'm known for is being an obsessive shed hunter. Now, Caleb is just as obsessive as I am, but his permission-seeking abilities are even better than his uh, shed hunting abilities. Like, he's, he's just the world champion Appreciate there. that. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, if you want to follow along with First Gen Hunter, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast, but also... Uh, you can just look me up on Facebook and Instagram at first.gen.hunter. And uh, you see all kinds of other be- behind-the-scenes stuff that we have going on there. Now, let's go back to Caleb. Caleb brought along a unique uh, yeah. uh, set of uh, antlers with him. And he's going to kind of tell the story behind that. Sure. So I got here. This is a shameless plug here. This is a little mount. It's, called, it's from a place called Rack Hub. So if you guys do have any sheds that you found and you want them, and it doesn't tear your heart out like Kent. It tears his heart up to think I've drilled into these, but you can, you can mount your, your shed antlers, kind of put them in a way that you, you know, you think they might've sat on the deer's head if you've never seen it or something like that. And it's kind of cool. Um, if you hunt elk, they also have like elk hunt stuff, like sure. elk, elk shed availability. So, um, on my, the right side, the one that actually looks good here, um, is a shed I found in, uh, March of 2019. Um, and then I found his other side in March of 2020. Um, so I, I matched him up a year later. He's all chewed up. I just think it's kind of a cool looking set because if he's, he's kind of nasty on the one side and, and really good on the other. And, and, um, funny enough, uh, the deer that I actually harvested this past fall, there was a picture on the, uh, up there. I, is this buck and, um, it, you know, I don't know how old he is or anything. I never got him aged. I probably should have, but, uh, but yeah, it's kind of a neat thing, um, that to find it, to find it about 150 yards apart. I was just, I just took the wrong line. Um, when I found his right side, um, instead of go, I went North and I should have gone a little bit further, um, East and I probably would have found his other side. So yeah, don't, I guess don't give up on finding the match side because right. I, yeah. I learned that the hard way. I was like, well, shoot, I probably, I probably could have found it. Um, and it was right around a deadfall, which I know mm. if you shed hunt quite a bit, mm-hmm. it's a good place to find, find yeah. some trees around some, from falling limbs. Yeah. So um, so yeah, that's kind of what I brought to show you guys. If you guys have any questions, you want to come up and handle this later. I'll show you how kind of how the, the whole system works. It's pretty cool though. Nice. Uh, next guy would be, uh, back to Jesse here. Jesse, as we said, is our, our primitive hunter here and Jesse hand makes his own bow. Uh, he also hunts with, uh, flint locks, uh, during gun yes, seasons and, uh, makes his own arrows. Like I said, and he's even, uh, experimenting. So he fletches his own arrows, makes the shafts. Uh, you even have done some uh, put on your own points on some of your some of the arrows. Yes, sir. And he's working on uh, napping some uh, stone points now as well. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely still learning that skill. It's a it's a sharp curve for me in the, in that neck of the woods. But uh, yeah, I brought along this uh, this is an ash bow, a white ash, and uh, it's heartwood. And I just love the simplicity of a self bow. It's it's called a self bow because it's one piece of wood. There's no backing. And there, um, it's it's all from a single stave, mm. and so I I really enjoy the process of being getting out there, picking your tree, cutting it down, quartering it, you know, splitting it into into your staves, and then it takes some drying time, and then fashioning a a, a bow out of it, a weapon that you can hunt with, that at at close range and and uh, um, in the right hands is really a deadly weapon, and and I really. Uh, not necessarily always my hands, but somebody's hands. <laughs> and uh, I really enjoy that 
um, that connection with nature, really, with creation. Um, and, what's your uh, What's your quiver made out of there? Uh, this is beaver. So this is beaver fur. That's so cool. That we, my dad actually trapped that beaver, and I was able to tan it and turn it into a quiver. So very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So definitely has that that primitive touch there. Something that you know what I like about that is you can always take hunting a step further, and that's mm-hmm. one of the ways you can do that. Mm-hmm. Brandon brought along something that is super unique. I don't remember the story. I think it was your friend who kind of turned you on to the idea of this, but yeah, uh, the catch and kill journal. Yeah, you know, I've I've been blessed over the course of my life to just I really have a passion for getting people into the outdoors. Uh, it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood, you know, and to see people enjoy that is really incredible. And so growing up, you know, maybe like some of you guys, I was always inviting friends over to go fishing or go hunting. And uh, about twenty, a little over twenty years ago, my buddy at the time we were teenagers, he said, you know, you ought to do a journal, and you should call it the Catch and Kill Journal. And so I have about five volumes of journals of all the hunting and fishing trips that I've done over the years. And it's been pretty incredible to document that, you know, to, to be able to go back and read through. It's amazing what you forget, you know, as all of us get older, you know, we don't remember the nuances of things. (laughs) And it's amazing when you read back through it, not only, you know, is it awesome on the memory side of things, but it's amazing the information that you're able to pick back up on and wow, man, that was amazing. You know, you pick back up on nuances of a hunt or a fishing trip. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all, we're all building memories. You know, we're all, we're all trying to share what we love right, with others. Right. We're trying to build memories and, and that, and that lasts a lifetime. And so your ability to reflect on those things is really special. And uh, so now, you know, too, with, I've got a five-year-old who is into hunting more than I thought I'd ever see any kid be into hunting every day. It's dad, when can we go hunting? When can we go fishing? And so now incorporating him into that Getting him out there, documenting some of this stuff is really special. So there's also, for, for guys who are a little bit more technological, there's some really cool apps out there for documenting hunts as well, which is really great. I love just, you know, I'm primitive at least on this side, where I love, you know, just writing it down, documenting it, really helps you get in that full experience and then relive that. And I mean, I, I'm excited one day to just be able to share that with my kids, you know, from hunts from 20 years ago and to be able to share those details. So would encourage everyone to, document things you know take the time to reflect on those things it's important yeah such a cool legacy to pass on you know we were talking earlier about the taxidermy you know a lot of times people don't even know where that buck came from Mm -hmm. they don't know where that shed came from but if it's documented somewhere you know what even after your time people can still enjoy it enjoy the story behind it yes so i think that's a true treasure that you're leaving behind for your family someday Mm -hmm. and uh you know people can enjoy it and even you can enjoy it now yes and so uh there's some uh cool entries in there it'd be fun to if we had enough time to go through and maybe read some of those yes. but obviously we're, we're trying to keep the show moving here and that leaves me the thing that i brought along as i said earlier i am the uh, obsessive shed hunter <laughs> and uh i actually started shed hunting before i started hunting and uh this is the best shed that i ever found so I, I think it's a 70 caleb might remember he helped me measure i think it's a 70 73 inch, 72 and a half inch side, something like that. Big, big, big. And uh, (laughs) Caleb locked up some hunting permission for us where he hangs out. And uh, uh, kind of a cool thing is I found another another shed from the same gene pool uh, about a month before we found this one. And uh, it was probably two years old and was already chewed up pretty bad. But that thing would have scored even higher than this one. I mean, just an absolute toad good old slob here mm-hmm. and uh 
I love shed hunting so much. You know, that day Caleb had found two and I hadn't found any. We were leaving the field. And um, thankfully, Caleb stacked up his sheds up on the dash and he was driving so he couldn't see. And uh, this thing was sitting out in a cut bean field just like this. In fact, uh, you can see in the picture there. That's what I saw wow. when we were driving by. I, I kid you not, I jumped out of the vehicle while it was still moving and uh, ran over and picked that thing up. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was the find I of a, I wish find I of a lifetime. Video. That's my biggest regret <laughs> of the shed season. I didn't get it on video. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, it was, a, it was a find of a lifetime. I love shed hunting. You know, sometimes people criticize it. You know, they call it the participation trophy of, for hunters or whatever. And that's fine. Don't go shed hunting because I'll find it for you. Mm. And... Uh, uh, no, I love it because you get to interact with so many different deer. If you only, you only, you know, you get to fill one, maybe two buck tags a year. Uh, but this way, man, we, we, Caleb and I have so much experience with different bucks just by picking up their sheds in the springtime. It gives me another reason to get outside too. Mm-hmm. And you help the farmer. That's a, that's a great question. Yep. So the question was, what time do you start shed hunting? Um, the earliest shed I think I've ever found was kind of like around the 20th of January, um, my uh, buddy and I, we were squirrel hunting. I found a dead buck that was shed, and you could just see the bloody bases there on his skull. And I'm like, hey, Luke, there's sheds around here somewhere, man. And he goes, oh, here they are. And a nice, big, old, probably five-and-a-half-year-old buck. The sheds, I kid you not, stacked on top of each other, frozen under the ice and snow. From the, I mean, and so he had to... He had to have shed those antlers maybe late December. And I've heard of other guys picking them up in December. Practically, when do you start looking for them, though? Um, Caleb and I can't help ourselves. We start getting out in January. Um, I like to look for them while I'm squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting maybe in that late winter time frame, just kind of keeping an eye out for them. But I really hit it hard mid-February. And uh, by the time we're into March and April, that's usually when we find most of them. You know, all bucks have pretty much shed by that point, by April. I found probably most of my sheds in April, um, but March can be really good too. Mid March, June. And, I mean, and you yeah, kind of gauge that too. Lot. You know, if it's a private piece that you got and you're the only one who has access to it, wait till April. Those sheds are going to, you know, let those those deer alone. Keep them on your farm till those antlers are dropping. And uh, then, you know, hit April, early April, something like that. Get out there and go scoop them all up. If, you get, if you're hitting private ground too early, then you're pushing deer onto your neighbors mm-hmm. and they're shedding on your neighbor's ground. If you're going to go on, if all you have access to is public land, hit it early and often. And, uh, you know, some people criticize that. They say, oh, that's hard on the deer. Well, here in the Midwest, every square inch of our ground is food. You know what I mean? There's there's corn there's corn left on the ground, bean, even some case beans left on the ground. They're, they don't have to go far to find food, so... It's just what what's the competition level and and uh, those sweet spots though definitely March April time frame is is money money time and once you do it enough you'll start piecing all these things together and I wish I had enough time to give you guys and this would be a good thing you know if you're interested in shed hunting Caleb and I would love to to really you know tell you what we've learned through all of our years of doing that um, we call it the zone you get into the zone you just start putting these things together and I kid you not you can when you walk into that zone I'll be like Caleb, I'm in the zone. Five minutes later, I'll find a shed, or Caleb mm-hmm. will find a shed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's uh, it's crazy when all those things come together. So, yeah, great great question. Well, the 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 next thing that we're going to move on to here, one of our last segments for you, is missing the mark. 
uh, th- you know, this is a church event, so we want to talk about this a little bit. You know, one of the things with hunting, and really what I did with First Gen Hunter, right, is, man, we need more people hunting. Hunting is part of conservation. Hunting is hunting is so it's life changing it's a lifestyle right you look at the the clothes i'm wearing you know got black ovis pants on i got well first gen hunter shirt on you know hoxie native seeds cap and you look at everything else these guys are wearing you know it's all related to hunting it's just it, it eats you up and uh you you then take the other side of that every hunter that i know is into conservation as well you know how do we get more of these animals around how do we provide better habitat how do we care about these native species that we're you know we we're talking about elk earlier how cool would it be to see elk in indiana again or to see bison in indiana and, and or in iowa or illinois and see these things you know obviously the infrastructure for how we do things is gonna have to change we're gonna have to create some uh some wildlife overpasses and underpasses <laughs> on our major uh interstate systems and whatnot we're gonna have to have more habitat to support that but conservation is such a a big part of what we do as well. And you can get eaten up with those things. You really can. Um, you can, uh, and you know, my, my, uh, sister makes fun of me, how I, you know, turn every conversation into like a conservation lesson or, a or a, uh, hunting, you know, plug or something like that. But that is so temporary, right? That's, 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 uh, that's focusing on this side of eternity, right? Um, uh, if you, any Jeremiah Johnson fans out there, you know, the old, the old seventies, Robert Redford, great movie, right? I re- recently listened to a podcast that basically debunked like 95% of that movie, but I still love it. You know, <laughs> and one of the best lines in there is when old bear claw goes, uh, you fool elk don't know how many feet a horse has. Right. And, and, uh, when we, uh, makes me think, you know, when we're on the other side of eternity, we would be saying, you fool, I don't care how many elk Iowa has, right? Mm-hmm. It won't matter anymore. What matters beyond this here and now? And and uh, it's, it, it's so easy to try and share these passions with people. It's God wired us this way. I was talking to, to Pastor Jimmy earlier before we started today. You know, my I'm first gen hunter. I didn't have anyone to introduce me to it. I just did it on my own. I, ever since I was a kid, I was so interested in it. I was just, there's no way you can say it's not woven into my DNA to be out hunting. And if I don't get to go hunting, I'm not myself. You know, I, I feel cooped up. I get grumpy and cranky. I'm a better version of myself if I get to go participate in those things. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what is your eternal standing? We're going to learn more about that later on today in the events when we go inside. And by the way, inside looks incredible. Yeah. It is uh, uh, the the way everything's been laid out up there is just fantastic. A ton of time has been put into that. There's going to be some giveaways, but there's also going to be a talk. And that talk is going to talk about what is life after now, right? After our days of chasing bucks and and hopefully even uh, for for us up here, elk and and uh, antelope and and bear and and all these other awesome game species that we get to enjoy here in our great country what what is life after that there is a life after that we're told in the, in the bible and uh it's so important that we have that eating us up you know it's great to love nature and what god created and what he put here for us to enjoy and it's so great to um uh, want to take care of that or so great to want to be feeding ourselves with protein that we had to actually work for right and there's a lot of honor in that 
but so much more important is where are we going to spend our eternity? And uh, God's word, the Bible tells us that we can know that. And so please understand, I love hunting with every fiber of my being. I love the wild places and the wild critters that call them home with every fiber of my being, but so much more. I'd give all of that up in a second if uh, I knew that my eternal destination was on the line. And not just that, but the eternal destination of those who I love and care about was on the line. And uh, this church is bringing us in to share that with you a little bit and kind of prime the pump for for later uh, because they care about you that much. They want they want you to know, okay, what is what is existence after the here and now for me? You know, what? how do I know that I get to stand before God and and he say, well done, my good and faithful servant at the end of this life? Uh, you can know that you can you can uh, trust that that Jesus Christ, God's son, died on the cross for you to for to, to, to heal the sin, the wounds of sin that are marking all of our lives and uh, that we can have a guaranteed existence with him in eternity. So we're going to talk about that later. But. If all we ever did was focus on those other two things, the conservation, the hunting, or whatever, maybe the fishing, right? Uh, we'd miss the mark. So we thought it might be a good time maybe to, you know, kind of wrap up the show talking about some of our famous misses. We're actually going to let uh, Brandon kick this off. We, we got about 11 minutes here, guys. So yep. kind of keep it to like, you know, 90 seconds a piece here mm-hmm. probably. But uh, Professor X. Yeah, I don't know if any of you guys, you got any, anyone out there like to name deer? Anyone? Man, that's like it's like it's like one of my favorite things to do. So what you're seeing on the screen here is actually a couple of deer. Um, the the one that we're highlighting is on the left. That's that's called he's called Professor X. The reason he's called Professor X is those of you guys who might know X Men, Professor X can read minds, and we probably all know of some deer that can read our minds. So this deer, we have three years of history with this deer. Uh, found a shed, found his shed um, this March, and so we're very hopeful that he is going to be right back on that property. Uh, but uh, He's, he has been seen on camera and in person in daylight one time both of the last two seasons. That's how smart this deer is. Both, both years, he leaves our property for six weeks, goes somewhere, comes back. Um, and so this year, I actually was able to get my pastor into hunting. You know, He's one of the guys that I'm mentoring. And uh, out in Delaware, we now have the ability to use a 450 Bushmaster, which shoots a pistol round, a, a flat cartridge. Um, you, it, typically in Delaware, it's just shotgun only previously. So he's out there with a Bushmaster. This thing comes out in January in the snow at 30 yards. He t- <laughs> Obviously, there's not a real good ending to this story. We're talking about misses. He, he takes the shot. He doesn't calibrate it for being at an angle, and he clips the front shoulder of the deer. Fortunately, the good news is the deer was okay. Showed right back up on truck, came two days later, had pictures of the wound on the front of his shoulder, but that was the only time, and we have cams running all the time on the property, that was the only time that deer came around in daylight at all. And so it's just amazing when you when you talk about the history, my, my pastor just talking to my pastor, took him fishing the other day, and he said, Brandon, I woke up at 1.30 in the morning thinking about that deer. <laughs> I mean, it's been months <laughs> like, ago now, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, and we've that all been reality. there. Oh, yeah. it's, it's reality, you know, and it's amazing. The things, just like in life, you learn more from the failures than you do from the successes many times. And so when you go through those challenges, you get stretched, you learn, you prepare more, you compensate, and then you grow. And so it's cool to see someone loving it so much and just so passionate about it. And that's really what's driving him. He's already like, Brandon, I can't wait to get out there this season, man. I'm like, I know, man, I hope we can get, get that deer for you. So pretty, pretty cool story. And it's awesome to have history 
with deer as well. And that, so just naming them and adding that nuance to it makes it really cool. Yeah, yeah. Jesse, as uh, the complete outdoorsman, I'm sure you've never missed anything. But if oh, you man. ever did, maybe in your dreams at some point, <laughs> uh, could you tell us a story of what that would have been like? Oh, absolutely. I could draw from a many number of misses. <laughs> but one of my favorites, and like you say, you know, you, you get a lot from the, the, from the failures. But hunting on the ground with a stick bow, and uh, I was actually using very similar arrows to these in a ghillie suit in its opening morning of turkey season in Wisconsin. And, I mean, it was it was the perfect turkey morning. And I'm up on the ridge right at light. Turkeys are gobbling. And I'm just kind of tucked back in the brush. And, uh, you know, those turkeys got good eyesight. So you're, you're trying to figure out when do you draw the bow, when do you shoot. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So <laughs> I hear this turkey gobbling. He can't be more than, you know, 150 yards away. I let out, I, I swear, like, half a dozen yelps and he's like right on me you know he gobbles at me and and i hear i i can tell when he hits the ground you know that gobble changes a little bit it is i bet you it wasn't two minutes and i turn and look and he's coming running as fast as he can with a jake following him right towards me and i got one decoy one uh, strutting tom decoy out in front of me that my brother had made and this turkey he ran by me at five yards you know, and I'm just tucked back in the brush and he started strutting around that Tom. And so I'm like, all right, I got to wait till he goes behind the fan, draw the bow, pick a spot and shoot. And, uh, as soon as he went behind that fan, I drew and that Jake spotted me. And so he started putting and heading into the woods and the Tom stuck his head up and I thought, Oh, I can sneak it through the fan. Let that arrow fly. And I stuck the decoy, right? Right with my arrow. I mean, I was probably three inches low. And if that decoy wouldn't have been there, I'd have got him. I know it. That was, it was just so, I was like, man, three inches higher and I'd have killed that bird. But, you know, that's the way it goes with hunting. It doesn't matter if you miss the mark. It doesn't matter how much you missed it by, whether it was an inch, three inches, you know, and that's, that's, or a mile. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, if you missed the mark, you missed it. Yeah. Well said. what was that? What's that? Did you mount the decoy? <laughs> I should have. I should have left the arrow in it. But no, that's no, a, I didn't. Now we're we're terrible. we're kind of pressed for time here. We want to do some giveaways. Um, Caleb and I have some great miss stories as well. Caleb's with a deer, I think, or a pheasant, and mine is uh, a with with a uh, bear this spring out in Montana. Uh, you can hear those stories. Uh, if you come up and talk to us after the show here. But just for sake of time, we're going to go ahead and skip ahead. We're also going to talk about our hunting plans coming up in 2022. I think it's safe to assume we are all a bunch of uh, uh, whitetail maniacs up here. We're going to be we're going to be uh, chasing after some uh, some deer and some uh, pheasants and, and turkeys and and uh, even looking forward to my next Western hunt, whatever that'll be. Uh, but but uh, that's coming up here for for all of us. But one of the things we want to finish up with were some giveaways. So uh, if you uh, look to our uh, our sponsor slide here, we'll kind of give a shout out to those who have donated. So we have some arrows here from Jesse. Um, there's a $75 uh, gift card provided by uh, uh, the Hunt Fish Life, Brandon's channel there, uh, to Cabela's. Um, I have uh, decals. If anybody's interested in decals, I can hand those out till I run out of them for first gen hunter. If you want to put it on a cooler or your truck or whatever, uh, it's not pulling up up there, but, uh, we had a nice video, uh, there it is. 
from uh, Spartan Forge. Just an incredible app. Um, again, mapping, uh, looking at deer behavior prediction, all based on radio collar data that lines up with the conditions for where you live. And I'm telling you, this can save you a ton of time if you get the Spartan Forge app. We do have one subscription to give away. So uh, we'll uh, uh, go for that. If you win it and you don't think you're going to use it because uh, you don't, you're on a whitetail hunter or whatever, uh, you can still uh, maybe give me an email address to somebody you know that you think would like it, and we'll get them that free subscription. And then also I got a hat from Hoxie Native Seeds, my employer. Great place to look at if you're uh, looking to trick out your hunting honey hole with some uh, switchgrass or big blue stem, Indian grass, maybe even if you want to help out the pollinators a little bit. Uh, you can uh, get get some of that on cover on your ground. Camel Fire, another uh, company that I work with a lot. Uh, just a great hunting discount site app. Really, you can get on there. Daily deals uh, show up. They have given us a twenty dollar gift card that somebody will win as well. You'll give me your email address. They will email you the gift card. And uh, also, um, again, Jesse for making the arrows. Just thankful to him. We also want to thank all of you for tuning in today, and those of you listening in. Thank you for uh, uh, joining us, and a big thank you to uh, the church here, everyone that came together to set all this up. Just a fantastic thing. They do it for you. So, uh, you know, be appreciative of that, and uh, uh, just really blown away by the generosity here at uh, Bethel. And uh, just, again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, We're going to go ahead now. Jesse's going to take one of his stick bows over here to this target that we have, and on this target, they're randomly set. Jesse doesn't know how they're lined up. He's just going to shoot random spots uh at the target and uh we're gonna figure out whose number so look on the back of your chair and we're just gonna i know we don't have every chair filled right now but uh we'll try and go with the closest person to that number to uh uh see who wins what prize so up first we're gonna go with um the uh hoxie native seeds cap and for all of you that Keep tuned into the, the podcast, we thank you so much for listening in. Remember to check out our buddy Alex Gruden, who uh, is laid up with an injury right now, but he's still able to do your hunt planning. Uh, go to alexgruen.com uh, and get your hunt planning service for your own Western Dream Hunt or Eastern Dream Hunt or Southern Dream Hunt or Northern Dream Hunt. Wherever you want to go, Alex will plan it for you. You can use the promo code FIRSTGEN10 when you check out. Save yourself 10% off of that. Don't forget about Spark and Forge as well and Camo Fire and all other sponsors. You can find those in the link tree on my Instagram profile or in the show notes on this podcast episode. Thank you to Caleb. Thank you to Brandon. Thank you to Jesse for joining me. Thank you to John, the engineer, for uh, running our slides today. And thank you to you for listening in. Until next time, take care and take someone hunting.